We know that God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. First and foremost, God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. Anytime you pick up the Bible and read a verse or a chapter or any passage of Scripture, God is speaking to you. God's Word, the Bible, is the perfect, inerrant account of everything God wanted us to have uh, in His Word. And so when you read the Bible, you're reading the very words of God. God also speaks to us through His Spirit. For those of us who've been saved, who've received Jesus Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit of God lives in our hearts. And so God will speak to us through His indwelling Spirit. Sometimes God will say, you need to do this, or don't do that, or you need to say this, or you need to keep your mouth shut and not say anything. But God regularly speaks to us through His indwelling Holy Spirit. Sometimes God speaks to us through other people, other Christians, others who have Jesus Christ living in their hearts. And God may use one of them to give us a word of warning or a word of wisdom or a word of caution. And so God certainly speaks to us through other believers. God also speaks to us through circumstances. Sometimes God will providentially open a door here, providentially close a door there. And God speaks to us through circumstances. My name's John Redman, and today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about one of the ways that God speaks to us, and that is through nature. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and so nature is like God's mouthpiece, or it's one of God's mouthpieces, and He speaks to us through nature. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking specifically about how God is speaking to us currently, right now, through nature, with earthquakes, hurricanes, fires, tsunamis, other natural disasters. We may not always think about it, but when these things happen, God is actually speaking to us. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about what the Bible has to say about these matters. I think we could all agree that sin has taken a toll on this old world. It has. Now, if you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Genesis in chapter number 2, I want us to begin by thinking about what sin has done to the world. Now, if we could somehow have lived with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before sin was ever introduced to the world, we would have discovered or we would discover a completely different world. For example, in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and sinned, living conditions were absolutely perfect. The two of them never got in an argument, never got in a, in a spat. They never struggled with unforgiveness because there was nothing that either one of them had to forgive themselves of. They had a perfect relationship with God. They never had to wonder what God wanted them to do because God spoke and they could clearly hear that. There was no static on the line between Adam and Eve and God. Everything was perfect. But not only was it perfect relationally, it was perfect in the atmosphere and it was perfect, I mean, in every way. For example, the temperature. I don't know what the temperature was in the Garden of Eden, but it was perfect. It was never too hot. It was never too cold. The humidity level was perfect, never too high. I don't think it can be too low, but I mean, it was just, it was absolutely perfect. There were no pests. 
in the Garden of Eden. There were no mosquitoes. There were no ants. If those creatures were there, they didn't hurt anything. Adam and Eve were never bitten by a mosquito or bitten by an ant, not before the fall of man. Everything was absolutely perfect. In fact, you may never have thought about this, but in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, it never even rained. That's not how God watered the earth. And we read about this in Genesis chapter 2. If you look down to verse 5, midway through that fifth verse, it says this, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the garden. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And so before sin entered the world, God watered the earth from underneath. John MacArthur describes this as an uninterrupted cycle of water. And so the ground was never dry, but neither was it ever oversaturated. It was always perfect. It was not until after sin entered the world that rain became the primary way that God would water the earth. Isn't that interesting? Now, when rain was introduced into the equation, that means now we have the possibility for floods. Now we have the possibility for droughts. You see, when God was watering it from underneath with that mist, that uninterrupted cycle of water, there was never a drought. There was never too much. There was never too little. It was always just right. But with rain, we have other things that are introduced into the scenario. And so with rain, now we have thunderstorms. Adam and Eve had never experienced a thunderstorm before they ate of the forbidden fruit. We have tornadoes. We have hurricanes. We have all these things in nature that Adam and Eve never experienced before they Sin. Now, you're in Genesis 2. Look in chapter number 3 and look down to verse 17. After they sinned and did what God told them not to do, God now begins to deal with Adam and Eve about the consequences of their sin. And here's what he said to Adam midway through verse 17. Cursed is the ground for your sake. So the very earth is cursed. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so before Adam and Eve sinned, they worked in that garden, but it was easy work. There were no weeds. There were no thorns, none of those problems. It was, it was enjoyable. So work was not a result of sin, but difficult work was a result of sin. God cursed the earth. So we need to understand that in the world in which we live, we live in a world that has been negatively affected by sin in every possible way, in every imaginable way, our world has been affected by sin. Now, that being said, if you would turn to the New Testament in Romans chapter 8, Paul is addressing this subject, and he's talking about how sin has affected the created world, creation itself. And in Romans chapter 8, I want us just to look at verse number 22 to begin with. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, Paul said, for we know, now this is that great chapter where we read in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Well, he's telling us something else we know. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. So he's saying because of sin, 
Not only do people get sick, not only do people die, not only are there problems in relationships, not only all these things happening, but creation itself is groaning and it is not functioning the way God intended for it to function. Now, if I could continue along this line of thought, this reasoning, and if we could somehow personify nature and make it so that nature could speak to us, and if the created world that was intact before Adam and Eve sinned, I'm talking about the earth, I'm talking about the rocks under the earth, I'm talking about the atmosphere, the stratosphere, the ozone layer. If all these parts of creation could speak to us today, they would say this, They would say, you have no idea how perfect it was in the Garden of Eden before sin came on the scene. These problems that you're dealing with in nature today, these natural disasters, these fires, these floods, these earthquakes, these tsunamis, all these things that are happening in the world, none of that was part of God's original plan. And nature would say some very direct and clear things to us if we could give nature a voice and let nature speak. You remember what it says in Psalm 19 in verse 1? The heavens declare the glory of God. Let's say that together. The heavens declare the glory of God. So you go outside after church today, you look up at the heavens, you see the sun, you see the sky, and the sun is speaking, the sky is speaking, not audibly, but just by being there. And they are saying to us, there is a God. Every time you see the sun come up in the morning, that is God's way of saying, today's a new day, you get a new beginning. Every time For example, that you see the stars at night, they should be a reminder to you that God has counted those stars and He knows them all by name. And so He knows every detail of our lives as well. Every time you see a bird, God is speaking to you through that bird. And that bird is saying to you, hey, don't worry about anything. God feeds me. God clothes me. God takes care of me. And God's going to take care of you. And so if we could use that same logic and let nature pre-fall nature, Garden of Eden nature, speak to us, there are some things that they would say. And you might want to jot some of these down. First of all, nature would say to us, something's not right. Something is not right in nature. And that's why you're having all these problems. And that's why all these issues are going on in the world. First of all, nature would say to us, you need to understand that the earth itself. Remember, God cursed the ground. And so the earth itself is unsettled. That explains why we have earthquakes. What is an earthquake? What is the cause of an earthquake? Well, below the surface of the earth, we know there are all kinds of rocks, large rocks. And sometimes these rocks shift. Sometimes these rocks move. Sometimes a rock will just break off. And if a rock shifts or if a rock moves on what is called a fault line, then we have an earthquake. But think about that terminology, a fault line. We say there's a, this is a faulty part of the earth. Let me ask you this. Do you think in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, that there were any fault lines? Do you think there was anything wrong on the earth? Do you think the rocks ever shifted or moved or that the rocks ever broke off and that there were any earthquakes? No. All of this is a result of the fact that God has put a curse on the ground and 
we're, now we have earthquakes. Why do we have tsunamis? Well, the same thing happens in the ocean that happens on dry land. I mean, the ocean is obviously full of water, but at the bottom of the ocean, there's land, and below that, there, is, uh, there are these same rocks, and sometimes they move, sometimes they shift, sometimes they're on a fault. And so there's an earth, a tsunami is just an underground earthquake, and it causes the water to send those waves, and it does devastating damage to those who are living close by. But all this is happening because the earth itself is unsettled. Nature would say to us, you need to understand, not only is the earth unsettled, but the atmosphere itself is unsettled. When I say the atmosphere, I'm talking about that layer of the, of the world, that part of the world above us, where thunderstorms, for example, develop. See, the atmosphere is unsettled, and so what is happening is that the sun is unevenly heating the earth. the earth. The earth is being heated up unevenly by the sun. And these uneven heat distributions of the sun cause what? Well, it causes there sometimes to be a thunderstorm. And sometimes, for example, if this happens out over the ocean, a thunderstorm can come in contact with another thunderstorm. That's kind of how hurricanes get formed, at least in part. You've got one storm blowing in this direction, and you've got another storm, and these two storms meet, and now you've got a hurricane. But there were no hurricanes. There were no tornadoes. There were no thunderstorms in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. The atmosphere itself has been negatively affected by sin. But not only the atmosphere, think about the ozone layer. What is the ozone layer? The ozone layer is that, <laughs> is that thing that God has created so that we would be protected from the harmful rays of the sun. Well, those who study these types of things tell us that the ozone layer is becoming thinner and thinner. Some say there are actually holes in the ozone layer. Others say, no, there aren't really holes. It's just that the ozone layer is becoming thinner so that now the harmful UV rays are coming through and people are getting sunburned, people are getting melanoma, people are getting basal cell car carcinoma, people are getting all these skin cancers. Think about this. In the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, do you think they ever got a sunburn? Do you think they ever had to worry about melanoma? No, because the ozone layer was perfect. They could be, Adam could be out there working in that sun all day, and Eve could be outside from sunup until sundown. And when the day was over, they, didn't have, they weren't sunburned. They weren't having to put sunscreen on to keep themselves from having damage. No, the ozone layer protected them perfectly. But with the fall of man, when sin entered the world, it affected even the ozone layer. Now, it's interesting. Even in our fallen sinful world, we still see glimpses of how, what it was like before sin happened. Did you know if you go to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is the lowest spot on the earth. And so today, if you were at the Dead Sea and you say, you know what I would like to do? I would like to lay out in the sun all day. You could do that. And since the Dead Sea is so far from the sun, the lowest spot on the earth, it, it provides an, that area provides a natural filter for itself so that you receive all the good rays from the sun and none of the bad rays. It's interesting, people who live in Europe who have skin diseases, eczema, and other problems, they travel from Europe to Israel, rent a car, drive down to the Dead Sea, and they'll lay out in the sun for 10 or 14 days, 
and they're getting all the benefits of the sun, no worry about anything bad, and it many times clears up their skin condition. But that's how it was in the Garden of Eden, and that's how it would still be today had sin not entered the world. And so nature would say to us, something's not right. And we would say back to nature, amen, I agree to that. In fact, if you look in verse 23 of Romans 8, Paul carries this thought on. He's not only now talking about creation, but he's talking about Christians. And notice what it says. Again, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Now look at verse 23. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And so those of us who are saved, we're groaning too. Every time you wake up in the morning and your back is tight and it's hard for you to get out of bed and you say, man, my aching back, what's happening? You're just groaning. Every time you go to the medicine cabinet and get a Tylenol and say, man, I've got a headache. I need to take a Tylenol. What's happening there? Your body is groaning. See, your body is speaking to you. And your body is saying to you, something's not right. Adam and Eve never had back pain. Adam and Eve never had headaches. Adam and Eve never had to go see a chiropractor. Adam and Eve, there wasn't one to see. But I mean, they didn't, if there would have been, they wouldn't have gone because there wouldn't have been a chiropractor, even if there was somebody else in the Garden of Eden. But every time you have these aches and pains and sometimes serious illnesses and sometimes diseases, what is happening? Your body is just groaning. And your body, since we're saved, we know that we're going to heaven. And our bodies are crying out saying, we want our new bodies. We want a body that'll never know sickness, that'll never know heartache, that'll never know pain. We want our new bodies. And so even our bodies are crying out. Not only is creation groaning, but we read here that we as Christians are groaning in ourselves because our bodies have been affected negatively by sin and by the fall of man. So nature would say to us, and we could say with nature, something's not right. Now, you still with me? Say amen. The second thing nature would say to us today is, something's about to happen. And this is why this sermon, I think, is so timely. Because with all of these things happening, it's like, I, I don't know if it's best to say God is speaking to us through nature or nature is speaking to us itself. But either way you want to look at it, I think both are happening. God is speaking to us through nature, but nature itself is declaring to us, wake up, think, pay attention to what's happening. Something is about to happen. Something is about to to change. Now, if you'll go to Luke chapter 21, we read about what Jesus had to say. And look down in verse 25, what Jesus said about what we have experienced just in the last few weeks. He said, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. We've seen all these things happen. We saw all that happen in one week. Within five days of each other, we saw those things happening. Men's hearts failing uh, from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, and they have begun to happen, Jesus said, look up. And lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And so Jesus says, hey, when weird things start happening in the sky, 
When the sun does something weird, when the moon does something weird, when the stars do something weird, and then the sea starts doing something very unusual. Jesus said, you need to understand, nature is speaking to you. Nature is giving you signs. And the sign is, what nature is saying is, that Jesus Christ is about to return. Jesus Christ is about to come back. And so we're foolish if we don't pay attention, if we don't heed the signs. Jesus said... uh, to one group of people, he said, you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. And I'm showing you this morning some of the signs of the times, and it should have all of our attention. What did Paul compare it to? He said, it's like birth pains. It's like a lady who is expecting a baby. And that lady, as she gets closer to the the date of delivery, what happens with those birth pains? They become more frequent. They become more intense. And the more frequent they become and the more intense they are, she knows she's about to give birth to a baby. Paul said that's how it is in nature. He's saying watch the signs, pay attention to what's happening. As these natural disasters get more frequent and as they get more intense, nature is saying to you something is about to happen. What nature is saying is we can't hold ourselves together much longer. We need Jesus to come back and we need Jesus to set us at ease and to make things right. Nature is saying, just like you need Jesus to give you a new body, we need Jesus to give us a new earth. We need Jesus to give us a new atmosphere. We need Jesus to give us a new ozone layer. We need Jesus to make everything right. And so, that's what is about to happen. Jesus Christ is about to come back. And we can see it with the signs of the times. Now, back in Romans chapter 8, look in verse 18. It's in this context that we have one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Paul said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When he talks about the glory, he's talking about that day when when we meet Christ, when we get to heaven, when we get our new bodies, and when we become like Christ. And he's saying all these things that we experience now, not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed when we become like Christ. So nature is saying to us, something's not right. Nature is saying to us, something's about to happen Jesus Christ is about to step back on the scene of history in in a visible sense, and and He's going to come back, and He's going to make all this right. But nature is also saying to us, something is required of you. Something is required of you. I mean, there's something we should do. Think about these natural disasters. In the last week and a half, for the first time in recorded history, there have been two Category 5 hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean at the same time. Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Jose. It's never happened before. I mean, even today, if you look, we're praying those storms all go different places. But I mean, it's, it's very active. It's very unusual to have this many big storms at one time. And so God has our attention. We do believe something's not right. We do believe that at the right time, Jesus is going to return. But not only that, we know that something is required of us. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to get ready for his return. And so, let me ask you this question. If you knew, if somehow, and God's not going to do this because he said he's just not going to do it. But if you knew that Jesus Christ were to be coming back in seven days from now. He just told you that. Seven days from now, it's over. I'm coming back. Let me ask you this question. What would you do during the next seven days? 
Well, I don't know specifically what you would do or even what I would do, but I know this. All of us, if we knew Jesus were coming back in seven days and we were about to stand before Him, we would do whatever we needed to do so that when we stood before Him, everything would be right so far as we, we can control it. Let me ask you this question. What if you knew that today, let's forget seven days, let's just get it on down to one day. What if you knew that today was the last day, this service was the last service that you would ever attend. If you knew that this sermon that I'm preaching right now is the last sermon that you would ever hear, what would you do? Well, what would you do if you knew this was the last sermon that you would ever listen to? Well, if you're not saved, I hope that what you would do is to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to make you a Christian. And if you would like to do that, I'm going to lead you in a little prayer right now that you can just uh, use and pray this prayer and receive Jesus Christ. Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray, amen. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer, you have done what was expected of you and what is expected of you by God. You have come to Jesus and you have sought and found the forgiveness that only He can provide. So congratulations. I would encourage all of our listeners to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. That's peacebybelieving.org. We have sermons you can listen to, booklets you can read, and then there's a place for you to contact us and tell us how we can pray for you or tell us uh, how the program is being an encouragement to you. But we would love to hear from you. Have a great day. Have a great week.